Hello and welcome episode 14, the sequel of the Backseat GM Podcast. I'm Ben Rauman. And I'm Zach Spaghetti. Ben, why is it the sequel? Well, Zach, um, we did try to record a pre-trade deadline episode, um, but, you know, things didn't work out. Um, I won't name any names. Um, there were some technical problems with a uh, app that rhymes with banker, but um, we've moved on from it. Uh, <laughs> we're doing a post-deadline episode, review some of the trades that happened around the NBA uh, this year. And it's, and it's a real shame because our audio that was lost, we predicted every single move. We did. Um, uh, we were like fourteen for fourteen. I was like, I was looking at it, um, you know, as, on deadline day, and you know, we predicted Vooch to the to the Bulls. We predicted, you know, Lowry not going anywhere. Like, you know, we we had it all. Um, unfortunately, that audio is lost forever. But you you know, you just have to take us at our word, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we had we had Mo Wagner going to the Bulls, but we did not have the only thing we missed on. Was Danny Ainge trading Daniel Tice for Mo Wagner? Even our clairvoyance mm-hmm. has mastermind of a move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Danny Ainge is a true, uh, a true, a true mastermind at the deadline. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but first, uh, let's do our Kevin McHale's. The part of the show where we talk about the beer that we picked in pops. That's right. It's Crafty Hops with Sneaky Athleticism. Zach, do you want to go first? I'd love to go first. Last week, I had a, another great beer from St. Arnold. Uh, it was a double IPA, double down. That's what they call it. And it was just, just one of those beers that is great to cook with. Great to drink with, great to just sit back and relax with. This is really an all-round beer. Got the multi-forwardness of a GDH, as people in the in the know call it, double dry hop. Got that multi-backbone, and on top of that backbone, sits this beautiful grapefruit, almost not quite tropical, but a little orangish, tropicalish vibe. Couldn't quite figure it out. Um, it was just it was delectable. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I went through about five over the span of four-hour period, and I was cooking wow. 350 degree oil. So that's pretty high praise coming from somebody who uh, dumped out a beer uh, right before that. Whoa! Sour, sour beer. Look, it was a sour beer from the shoots brewery. I love the shoots. Great IPAs. Don't really like their stuff. I've had some of their stuff before. Um, but those IPAs are great. I saw this boysenberry sour. I was like, I hate sours. It's got this beautiful purple can, or purple glass. It's got the little eagle on it. I was, I was like, I'm going to like any sours. Boysenberry? How about not like, how about like boysenberry? And then I had a post-it picture on my tap of me pouring it down the drain. Yeah, I almost uh, vomited when I saw that. Just sacrilegious. Um, not the, it's not the beer's fault. My fault. It is. <laughs> I, I blame you, not the beer. What about you, brother? What you been drinking? Uh, yeah, so I got this gumball head from Three, Fl- Three Floyds Brewery. Um, I've had Three Floyds before, um, 
They have uh, a really good Scotch Ale. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's got like a knight on it. Um, and then uh, they have this really good Zombie Dust IPA. Um, and like a bunch of their beers, I've like looked it up on like uh, Beer Advocate and stuff. They're all rated like they, they have multiple beers that I've seen rated like 93 plus. Um, but uh, this one right here, Gumball Head, it's a, it's a wheat ale, um, and it's it's kind of got like a little bit of a lemony flavor. But then on the back end, um, you kind of get a hint of like pink bubble gum which is pretty interesting for, like, a, a wheat. Um, a little hoppy, um, but it, it, it goes down super smooth. Um, strongly recommend. My dad's a big fan of wheat ales, and we had one together uh, when we first got this, and uh, he really liked it, too. It's got a little picture of a cat in an astronaut's boot smoking a doobie. So, uh, <laughs> 10 out of 10 for the artwork. But yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I uh, definitely would recommend Three Floyds in general, though, because they so, have some good beers. As far as wheat ales go, I mean, the gold standard, of course, is Blue Moon. So how do you compare <laughs> to the old Blue the old blue Crescent? The old True Blue? The old True Blue. Um, yeah, as someone who's, you know, gotten hammered on Blue Moons in the day. <laughs> I think this rises above it okay. uh, by a considerable amount. I would I would put this in the 90s for sure on uh, on Beer Advocate. Uh, I think it got rated like a 95. Uh, then Blue Moon's like a 78. <laughs> Blue Moon, tried and true. It's an 80 for me. Okay. Oh, special in my heart. You know? It would be minus plugged. <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> um... Yeah, I just uh, I just just finished the last droplets off because it took Zach and I so long to record. Um, we won't name names. Uh, who it was. <laughs> yeah, we won't name names, will we? No, uh, we won't. Um, but uh, I got my <laughs> I got my second uh, little drink here. This uh, blackberry lime crooked marker that I'm about to uh, uh, hear that that little ASMR, oh. ASMR there. Um, Let's move on to our airballing of grievances, the part of the show where we talk about something we need to get off our chest this week. Zach, what is something that's been on your mind lately? Well, I had a, a lot of things lined up for the airballing of grievances because I'm, I'm, I'm a sad man, and I have a lot of things I'm mad about. But one thing that jumped out to me the most actually happened just recently, and Ben alluded to it, is our, our mic situation. and um, my laptop doesn't like to um, connect to Bluetooth of any kind. Um, and if it does connect to Bluetooth, then it'll never forget the device. So whenever you, tr- uh, so that's why I've had to like literally throw headphones away because they always connect to my computer and you, you just, they're unusable. Um, probably, probably user error on my end, but um, is what it is. So tonight I, I try to use my gaming headset. It wasn't working. I tried to use a different headset. It wasn't working. Try to just use the regular mic. It wasn't working. And we went to, we went. That was on ZenCaster on my desktop. Then we now we go to my on my phone. Now we're using Anchor. It's not working. I say, you know what? Maybe maybe it's Ben's fault. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not insane. Ended up being not quite Ben's fault. Ben's shitty laptop, which is 
almost shittier than mine, which some could argue is shittier than mine. And um, at the end of the, while we were trying to do this podcast, um, my headphones disconnected from my phone. So um, we are going through heaven and hell to deliver you the 14th episode of the Backseat GM podcast. Yeah. Um, as shitty as Zach's laptop is, mine is, uh, m- mine's, you know, bottom of the barrel for sure. Uh, <laughs> been getting viruses on this thing since year one. Uh, I won't name the company by name, um, but let's just say it rhymes with hell. Ben's laptop, we'd be in stats and Ben's laptop would just start beeping. Yeah. It's like a loud piercing beep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the viruses. Um, but yeah, I, I basically had to uh, I had to punch the punch the monitor and the sound worked. Um, so that's kind then of when it's been in, a that's been a regular occurrence for me over the years. But when, when it says that milfs are in your area, you, you probably don't want to click that. But they're in my area, Zach. <laughs> they want to meet with me. <laughs> oh, you're hot right now, baby. <laughs> so what's been grinding your gears? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, a couple days ago, I think it was uh, LeBron uh, was quoted by the media in post game interviews talking about uh, the MVP race, and uh, he said, "You know, I should have had more than four, but you know, I don't, I don't sit around crying about it." <laughs> Um, which, you know, as a quote in and of itself is kind of an oxymoron as he's crying about not getting, uh, more than four MVPs says he doesn't cry about it. Uh, but I think you and I both know that LeBron, uh, has not been the most gracious over the years, um, when it comes to, uh, MVPs, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's maybe roll some of the tape and, uh, kind of review how LeBron has, uh, reacted to, the MVP over the over the years. Um, it pissed me off because um, out of 101 votes, I got 16 first first place votes. Um, that's what pissed me off more than anything. Um, you know, not saying that um, you know the the winner wasn't deserving of the MVP, um, but that pissed me off. Um, and I finished second a lot in my in my career either from a championship and now four times as the MVP. Um, you know, uh, like I said, I never I never came into this league saying let me uh, be MVP or, or uh, you know, be a champion. I've always said I just want to get better and better every single day. And uh, those things that take care of itself. Um, there's some things that's just out of my hand and some things you can't control. Um, but it pissed me off. Sometimes the word most valuable or best player of the year, you can have different results. Um, you know, it's not taken away from anyone that's ever won an award, but, I mean, if you look at Steph's numbers, I mean, average 30, he led the league uh, in steals, he was 90, 50, 40, and they won 73 wins. I mean, I don't know. you have really any debate over that? really um, when it comes to that award but when you talk about most valuable then you can have a different conversation so um, but taking that away from him he's definitely deserving of that award for sure I don't know 
I'm not going to get. I'm not going to sit up here and, and talk about what the criteria should be or what it is. Um, it's changed over the years since I've gotten to the league. I know that. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's just changed. It's changed a lot. You know, sometimes it's you know the best player on the best team. Sometimes it's the guy with the best season statistically. Uh, sometimes. Uh, it, it, it's changed over the course of the, over the course of my career. I mean, you know, you don't know, you don't, you don't know. But I, you know, Giannis had a hell of a season. I, I can definitely say that. Wow, Ben, you really brought the receipts to this one. Um, a couple things is it's interesting how he's always um, congratulating the winner. So. Within all the bullshit, there is still some gracious. He's gotta, he's, he has his LeBron politics, you know. He's got to be, uh, he's got to be p- politically correct in NBA terms. Yeah, and then he, you know, like you pointed out, he talks out of one side of his mouth and he, he contradicts himself every single sentence. And um, I'm going to throw it to you for your uh, an, uh, reaction, uh, but I have some some wrap up in terms of historical. Um, precedent, but I want to hear your quick thoughts on it too. Um, yeah, I just think it's funny how like he says he doesn't cry about it, but like after multiple MVPs, you know, the first clip was from well, actually, the first and last clip were from post this most recent where Giannis won his second, and then the second clip was from when Steph won. Um, in 2016 with the unanimous MVP. Um, LeBron might have been a little salty that he didn't uh, get the unanimous MVP back in the Mellow year when Mellow got a vote. Um, But, uh, you know, he's talking about how the award has changed and, uh, you know, the criteria is different. And, well, you know, if you define it by most valuable, we can have a different conversation. You know, just, you know, always throwing a little bit of shade, no matter what. Um, but then it seems like this most recent MVP where he lost to Giannis, even though the narrative was 100% in his favor, this one really got to him because he's made a lot more comments about it, about how, you know, he just doesn't know how he lost or how he doesn't know how he only got this many first place votes or, you know, I should have more than four MVPs. You know, he doesn't specify which years he should have won. Like, I, I don't know if you want to, you know, maybe dig into that a little bit. But, you know, what years could he have won? He could have won the, the Rose year. Because, um, you know, I think a lot of people think that Derrick Rose probably shouldn't have won that 2011 MVP. He had a you know heck of a season offensively, but, you know, their defense was what carried them that season to their record. And the Bulls offense that year, I think, was like the 11th ranked offense in the league, um, which is pretty middle of the pack, um, considering he was the MVP uh, for carrying the offense alone. But, uh, and then, you know, you have the a couple years in there, like, uh, I think the Harden year, you could argue maybe he could have won or. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a, a few thoughts on it. Like, I mean, if we go on, if we go back, I mean, the Steve Nash years, when Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs, I mean, you could assign any of those MVPs to either Kobe, um, LeBron, or Shaq. I think most or people even would have said Kobe. 
for for the Nash year. Yeah, uh, Kobe definitely. Uh, I think that year Kobe was averaging 35, but um, LeBron had a hell of a season. That was the year that Shaq took the the Heat to the finals, but mm-hmm. you know Wade finished it off in the finals. But in terms of like historical precedent, it's I don't think the MVP's ever been totally consistent. I think. I think I'd say 80% of the time it's best player on the best team. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times is what LeBron complains about is, look, he definitely has a point where if you stick LeBron on the team, they're going to do some damage. But there has to be pieces around him because that argument kind of fell apart when he went to the Lakers the first year and wasn't able to take them because it's a harder West. The West is a harder conference than the East. Right. So what LeBron was able to do in the East was kind of cruise during the regular season, do a little load management, kind of, relax on offense, and then absolutely take it to an elite all-time, top top two, top three player of all-time level in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But this has always been a regular season award. Like when AI lost to Kobe and Shaq in the finals, but AI won the MVP. When David Robinson won the MVP but lost to Hakeem. I mean, you go on and on when Giannis wins MVP but loses in the playoffs, or Harden wins MVP, loses in the playoffs, Westbrook wins. But it's a regular season. You don't have voted for before it's the a playoffs. Regular. End so like you have to judge exactly. it based on the regular season and LeBron coast and that might be what helps him become a better player in the playoffs and what you know allows him to hit that extra gear when it's time and you know that that's what makes him one of the greatest players ever but uh, absolutely it's not conducive to winning you know he's won four MVPs it's not like he hasn't won a lot you know he's won plenty of MVPs. You know, and, you I don't know, know what he's complaining about when, you know, he's he's won so much in the years where he hasn't. So, and that's what's crazy about LeBron is his coasting's twenty seven, eight and eight, right. twenty six, eight, nine and eight, and those are great numbers. But maybe you're second, third in the East, and there's some dude who's first or second in the East or West, mm-hmm. averaging slightly better numbers. Does it mean that that player is a better player per se? Doesn't mean that player's more valuable, you know, to the team's success in the playoffs. But like, well, LeBron, you know, my I don't want to talk about this for too long, but it's just an interesting topic. Is that, you know, when Kobe won Finals MVP and was averaging thirty-five and thirty-six and five into the playoffs from two thousand eight to two thousand ten, but only won he won the Finals MVP. But LeBron won in the MVP in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, the same years that LeBron lost to the teams that Kobe beat in the finals. So um, it's just interesting that LeBron wants it to be his narrative when he wants it to be his narrative. So if, based on that logic where LeBron's like, oh, you know, playoffs, if he's implying that playoff success matters more, then he should give those two MVPs back to Kobe because Kobe's the one who took the team to the finals and was the best player in the playoffs. But that's not how MVP works. In my opinion, the MVP of the playoffs is finals MVP. So Right. And if he um, wants to complain about like narrative and stuff, like he has a valid point where he probably you know, should have won MVP over Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose had the narrative going for him. But then he can't complain about, you know, not winning MVP when he had the narrative in his favor and everything and he's trying to use that to his advantage against Giannis last year. Like Right. It was a completely narrative-based MVP argument for him. And, you know, it showed. You know, the voters didn't fall for it, thankfully. He, but then he's complaining about the number of first-place votes he got, you know, right after the MVP award's done. He's, like, talking about how it's disrespectful that he only got, 
whatever it was, 16 first place votes. And like, that's a lot of first place votes for him to get considering the historic season that Giannis had, like by every metric, basically Giannis should have been the MVP. And yet there's still guys like Stephen A. fucking Smith who votes for LeBron. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's LeBron being LeBron. We all know he's kind of like this, but, uh, it's uh, it's still pretty funny to. Uh... I mean, he's he's the same guy who's called himself the goat. Mm-hmm. Like no other player has said, you know, I'm I'm the greatest player of all time. Like who who wakes who? Well, maybe you know, other than on... other than maybe like Brandon Jennings, but. Uh... Oh. <laughs> or Monte Ellis. Monte Ellis said, uh, you know, the difference between me and Dwayne Wade is uh, he's got a couple championships, but uh, other other than that. Monte Ellis have it all. I, if LeBron teamed up with Mon- Monte Ellis, that's what the thing about LeBron. Like, we, you know, we're kind of shitting on him today, but he makes everybody better, and that's what's great about LeBron. It's why he has four MVPs. But if you look at his win shares, if you look at his uh, uh, player efficiency, it's dropped ever since his last MVP every year. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes he just realized that I don't, I don't know what he. Ex- like, it's like he realized that he doesn't need to try in the regular season as much. He'll still drop insane numbers, still take his team to a top three seed, and then dominating the playoffs. But then he complains about not receiving MVP. Yeah. These guys are, like, Harden's dropping 37. Giannis is averaging 30, 12, and 5. I mean, like, these guys are, are putting in work every night mm-hmm. and with less talent around them. So, yeah. I think also it's it's hurt LeBron that he's had two All-Stars with him every year. So. I was I was actually reading something really like it's interesting you bring that up because I was actually just reading something exactly saying that where like you can see a clear cliff in the last time LeBron went won MVP with his like advanced efficiency numbers and everything like you can tell the years he won MVP they're like insane and then like the last like couple years they're still like elites they're still top you know tops in the NBA, oh, yeah. NBA, but they're, like, nowhere close to, like, where he was during those seasons. Like, there's a reason he won MVP during those seasons. He was undeniable, you know. Um, but, you know, I agree. last few years, he's, you know, he's like we said, he's taken his foot off the gas pedal a little bit in the regular season, and, you know, you can't expect to win MVPs when you do that, um, especially with the talent that there is in this league. Um in any case, um, do you have anything, any final things to add to that before we get on to uh, the meat of this podcast? Hey, I, I, I put this. Is, I love this topic because it's so interesting. Because um, I think Kobe and Shaq were so disrespected in their MVPs, and Shaq complains about all the time, but Kobe never complained about it, you know. Um, and Jordan doesn't complain about the time that. Um, uh, Carl Malone won the MVP when he shouldn't have won the MVP. Jordan, <laughs> so I mean, these guys. Oh, some some players complain, some players don't, and um, I feel like it's okay that LeBron complains, but his complaints aren't consistent. Right, and, right. It's one um, thing to complain. Like I, I respect if he complains about like, oh, I lost to Russell Westbrook, um, I lost to Derrick yeah. Rose, I lost to you know James Harden. Like fine, like you know you're probably you're you're the better overall player, uh, but. Were you the most valuable player in the regular season? No. Like, by definition of what we take into account for the award, you weren't. So, like, 
you know, I, I get I get his perspective. I get like where he's coming from and everything. It's the fact that he says that I don't sit around crying about it when he spent the last, you know, seven, eight years crying about not getting another MVP since his last one. That's 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 the thing that uh, I had my grievance about. Not not the fact that he's actually I, complaining about it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> But uh, let's uh, let's move on to uh, you know it's it's trade season Zach um, I don't know if you've heard oh. there's a uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened at the deadline and also you know a lot of stuff that didn't happen uh, namely the Raptors not uh, doing anything with Kyle Lowry um, you know there's a lot of top contenders in the East uh, for Lowry at the deadline Miami and Philly were both named as major. Uh, contenders to land him uh, with, you know, Tyler Hero and Tyrese Maxey is some of the bigger names to be, you know, thrown around, or relatively big names, I guess, <laughs> to be thrown around in exchange for him. Um, but instead, the Heat and the Sixers end up settling for Oladipo and George Hill, um, just a slight downgrade uh, from Lowry. Uh, but the Raptors, that doesn't mean the Raptors weren't uh, busy at the deadline. They did end up trading away Norm Powell to the uh, Portland Trailblazers in exchange for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. Um, Norm Powell's having an insane year, uh, career year, pretty much across the board, uh, shooting the ball really well. Uh, I think he's averaging like 19 points per game or something like that. Um so it's a good get for Portland. Um, but also, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Trent Jr. He's a great defender, um, and he, he can shoot the ball um, too. So that's a nice little piece that the Raptors got in exchange for him, at the very least. Um, he's obviously younger than Paul. Um, but uh, that, that last FaceTime, or potentially last FaceTime from Drake after Lowry's uh, final game pre-deadline uh won't have to be the last Drake FaceTime Lowry gets as a Raptor anymore. So that's uh, that's some good news. Uh, what are you? What are some of your thoughts, Zach, on the on the Toronto's deadline? Yeah, and it was interesting what happened with Lowry because you know we were being facetious earlier, but we both thought Lowry was moving on. All signs were pointing to um, Lowry getting on the last train out of Toronto that night, and it didn't happen. And all, you mentioned the. Uh, Sixers and the Heat, but also the Lakers were, as you know, the Lakers were in there as well. Um, but the Lakers don't have as much, they don't really have much to trade to match the salary or to even in draft capital. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what the Raptors do moving forward with Lowry, you know, an expiring deal, older guy. Um, is this something where he's going to be resigning with them and not why that's why they didn't trade him? Um, yeah, because he's in the final of, year of his deal, so. Yeah, yeah, and he is. And is this a thing where they just couldn't find a trade partner and they're just going to mutually part in the offseason? Um, or is he going to come back at age 35 and just kind of ride it out like a, a la John Stockton at Utah at the end of his career? Um, we'll see. But as far as Norman Powell goes, I mean, first game in Toronto, 22 points, 71% from three. And you're, you're right, he's having a hell of a year. He's averaging uh, – Everything 20, uh, 20 points on um, 43, 44% from three. So um, it's having a hell of a year from beyond the arc, and it continued in Portland. So I think it's a good trade for both sides. The Raptors get a little younger, and uh, 
the Trailblazers get a guy that can uh, give them some give them some good points because um, they're in, they're in win good points. It sounds so stupid. So, <laughs> some good, uh, good some good minutes, and it's a good more of a veteran guy because they're a veteran team, and they need they need veteran guys now, and the the Raptors need younger guys. So I think it's a good trade for both sides. Yeah, you make some uh, good points there, Zach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded like thing I've said on air. <laughs> uh, it sounds like Kyle Lowry was gonna get traded up until like pretty much pretty late in the deadline because the Raptors were making moves that seemed like they were opening up space to take uh, some players back in a trade. Um, they moved on from Terrence Davis, and then I think they dumped him with I want to say the Kings got him, um, and then they sent. Matt Thomas to the Utah Jazz. Uh, somebody on Twitter said Matt Thomas sounds like the most Utah Jazz name possible. Um, Besides Myers Leonard, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, Low hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we won't talk about uh, My- My- Myers Leonard. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird that the Raptors didn't find something for Lowry because um, he can't really, like, if I'm a Psy, like, I want to get something for him at least unless I think that he's going to resign. But then at the same time, like, I mean, I understand if Raptor, or Lowry wants to be a Raptor for life, um, but it just seems weird a guy who's at this stage of his career and he still can contribute in a major way why he'd want to, you know, wallow on a tanking or sub-tanking team. Uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of strange. Maybe they try to, like, re-sign him to, like, a two-year deal and then get something more for him later, but I don't understand why Lowry would do that either. Um, like, why he would sign a deal and then not have control of where he goes next. Like, if he were if that was the plan, why wouldn't he just, you know, leave in free agency unless he really cares that much about the Raptors org that he wants them to get something for him. But it's just it's a weird situation all around. Not really sure what their what their plan is. And all good all great points. Um and last thing on the flower thing for now is um what price was too high for all these teams? What was that? I want to know what the asking price was. Yeah. Was it a first? Was it Two seconds? Was it a young player? I mean, like... I mean, I can imagine that Miami was dangling Hero, but, like, Hero's had such a bad year. Maybe the Raptors weren't, like, okay with just that. Maybe they wanted, like, a package of the Heat's young players. Like, maybe... Duncan Robinson isn't exactly young, and he's also, I think, in a contract year, so that wouldn't be the biggest, like, carrot to dangle. But, um, like, I don't know. Hero plus Kendrick Nunn. I mean, a lot. Of, I, I don't think there's too many people too high on Kendrick Nunn at this point. Um, it's and just he, a weird situation because Lowry's playing great basketball, but he's 35 and he's on an expiring deal. It's just a, it's kind of a weird market and a weird situation for everybody. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't know what the Heat, you know, maybe the Heat just didn't have the package that the Raptors were willing to take. Um, I mean, I guess they could have dangled Precious Achua, but I don't know how, like, how high the uh, 
the Raptors would have been on him. I think he's kind of having an okay year. I've seen a couple things about him, but um, yeah, I don't know. And then as far as the Sixers go, I mean, they could have offered Tybal, uh, you know, in addition to Maxi, or you know, they have a couple. They have quite a few picks uh, on their side too. So I really don't know what the what price is too high. Hill's a solid get for them. I mean, he's not gonna be like a huge difference maker, not remotely close to Lowry, but you know, they needed a point guard kind of, and he's definitely a steady presence there. He shoots really efficiently, so he can play off ball alongside Embiid and Simmons too, but also you know do a little bit of playmaking. Um, He's no world beater as a playmaker, but, you know, he can get it done in spurts, and I think that's kind of, you know, something the Sixers need. Um, and that's what we were saying on the last, last recordings. We were talking about how Lowry would be a perfect fit because they need that point guard who um, can play off ball. Yeah, isn't ball dominant, but is also when needed to be ball dominant. Is a huge high basketball IQ because takes pressure off Ben Simmons for making those plays. And George Hill's obviously not anything close to Kyle Lowry, but he's um, better than what they have. So, yeah. As far as the Heat go with Oladipo, it's gonna be interesting to see what Oladipo they get. Um, obviously, he can play. It just depends on what style. He wants yeah. If he falls in line, um, which he probably will. Um, I mean, he's no reason not to. So. You know, heat culture, hashtag heat culture. Um, heat haven't uh, really been the same since cutting or since trading Myers Leonard, though. They've been on a losing streak. Maybe he was the glue guy. The anti Semite was the uh, the glue guy that held that heat culture locker room together. <laughs> um, probably not. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, I think we can move on from Lowry uh, for now. Uh, Another big move that happened at the deadline, uh, the Magic made a couple big moves, actually, uh, trading both Aaron Gordon and Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier. But uh, let's talk about the Gordon trade first. Um, Aaron Gordon traded to the Nuggets, um, which is actually something we really mentioned on the prior podcast that got deleted. I kind of like the fit of Gordon next to Jokic. Um, he's an athletic four, which I think they were kind of missing without Jeremy Grant there anymore. He can defend multiple positions, especially when he locks in. Um, and, you know, he can shoot the ball a decent amount um, and play make some. So it's kind of a fun front court. Uh, you know, Jokic potentially throwing lobs to Aaron Gordon at the four. Um I think he's more functionally athletic in-game on offense than uh, Jeremy Grant. But, um, you know, the Nuggets send out Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a pick uh, to the Magic. So the Magic get, um, you know, R.J. Hampton, who's a young guy, um, some draft capital. And then Gary Harris has struggled uh, in a major way the past few years he feels like a guy who's been in the league forever but he's only 26 um still uh so you know still yet to technically enter his prime maybe in a new situation who knows he could you know do better um but 
when that situation's the tanking magic, I don't know if, you know, that's really going to be a great situation for him. They have, I guess, better spacing now that they got rid of, you know, their jumbo front court. But uh, what do you what do you think on the Aaron Gordon stuff? I'm just more flabbergasted. You're like analyzing the fit for the Magic, like like it even matters at this point. Like, <laughs> hey, they're, the they're compiling guys. You know, this is the first positive thing I've seen from the Magic in like ten years. Can we appreciate that for a second? The first positive thing was Nikola Vucevic having the night of his life in Game One against the Bucks last year. That was the highlight of the. I mean, from a front office perspective, but that's fair. Or maybe beating Toronto in every game one they've ever played. (laughs) Yeah. I think Aaron Gordon Gordon on the Nuggets is, like, I mean, I'm just acting you said, I think it's great. I mean, Aaron Gordon was never really became the guy in uh, in Orlando, and they probably try to do, like, an Embiid-Simmons thing. It just never really worked out. And, um, Aaron Gordon just isn't that ball-dominant kind of player. And uh, I don't know what they were trying to do with him, but he was just he's just a 14, 15-point points-per-game kind of guy. And that's – you can't win a, you can't win a playoff series having your second-best player do that. So I think he fits really well on the Nuggets. He's mm-hmm. having – like you said, he's having a really good shooting year. He's shooting 37.5% from three. So he's definitely going to be fitting well, um, maybe in the dunker slot, sitting on the three-point line. And he's a solid defender, so – I think this is exactly what the Nuggets need. They got them for pretty cheap, and um, the Nuggets are definitely upgraded here. Yeah, I'd agree. And, like, to be fair, Aaron, the idea of Aaron Gordon has always been, like, better than the actual product of Aaron Gordon. But, you know, he's wasting away on a Magic team that's, like, having him play up a position. You know, he's more of a true four, and they got him playing at the three for a bunch of it. Um, he definitely has potential as, like, a point-forward type player. Um, and, you know, the Magic – or, sorry, the, the Nuggets have been needing a wing for a long time. He's kind of like that jumbo wing-style um, yeah. player. So, you know, that helps. Uh, he can definitely guard some of the bigger wings in the West in the playoffs, um, which is more than you can say for uh, Michael Porter Jr., um, but yeah, I, I like the fit a lot. And I think that Aaron Gordon is going to look better than he did, uh, with the magic, just, um, you know, so much better spacing, more spacing than he's ever played with in his entire career. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, like, I'm excited like, to look at that. I feel like they're not the best transit. I mean, I don't know the, the numbers. It just, and I'm kind of sometimes a casual fan, so I don't, I don't watch them super closely, but I feel like they're not the best team in transition. Like that's a, they don't play with as much speed as other teams, partly because that's Jokic. You know, he, he kind of slows the game down. Yeah, and I think that you know Gordon can allow them play a little different every every now and then, and allow them to run more in transition, maybe. Mm-hmm. When yeah, Jokic. he's definitely a transition player for sure. Um, yeah, and then I, the Nuggets got Javale McGee too. Uh, kind of on on the DL, uh, that, and that kind of shores up that defensive center position that they lost when they lost Mason Plumley, um, who, by the way, pulled out a Jokic-like uh, dribble move um, oh, in-game. It was a Pistol Pete. Just was crossed a- over. Yeah, he looks like Pistol Pete out there. 
like a fake pass dribble. It was almost like like a CP3 fake pass dribble and caught the guy like falling, uh, drove huh. him for a, for a driving lay-in. Insanity. Nasty. Best dribble. You said the best dribble move you've seen in game since Shaq in the All Star game on Jordan. Yeah, and that was that was the yeah that was the layup line. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that since. Or oh maybe some Hakeem moves. Um, yeah. But underrated, yeah, underrated bit of this trade actually. Uh, the the Celtics were in strong talks for Aaron Gordon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they they cooled down, quote unquote, uh, since they didn't want to include Marcus Smart. But Ainge said everything happens last minute at the deadline anyway, so you know we'll see where it goes. Um, now Ainge did make some splashy moves at the deadline. Uh, you know he got himself a nice little Evan Fournier for uh, two second round picks and uh, swap 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 Daniel Tice for Mo Wagner. Okay, so first off, to Evan Fournier, Fournier, I think it's Fournier, but who gives a fuck? Yeah, I think this I think is the most. This is the most, <laughs> I think this is the most. The most bullshit deal. I mean, Fournier's having the best year of his of his career. He's just putting up really good numbers. He's still a great shooter. He's now becoming more of a off the off the dribble kind of scorer. And um, I don't know exactly how the fit works, but it adds more floor spacing for the Celtics and. And adds another threat that they lack because Kimba's playing really badly uh, for Kimba's standards. So, I mean, how, how could you say the Celtics would lose a trade when they um, give up two two seconds? Two seconds? Like, this doesn't even make sense. You give up two seconds for Mo Wagner, maybe. Or you give up two seconds for, like, Tariq, Tariq Black, Tark Black, uh, former 6'7 <laughs> six, six, center of the Houston Rockets. Okay. I don't, I don't I, I don't fucking get this shit. Yeah, I, well, isn't Fournier's on the last uh, year of his deal, isn't he? So he's an expiring anyway. Oh well, there I you think. go. I didn't. I didn't do that research. Yeah, or you talked about it. I'm looking it up right now. I want to see. Um, I remember he signed that huge contract oh, like a while ago. Um, let's see. Oh, you're right. Evan Fournier contract. Oh, yeah, expiring. So, I mean, yeah, he was having a career year and everything, and Magic probably could have should have gotten at least a first for him, I would think. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, if this is you get two seconds for Evan, what was Lowry's market? One first? <laughs> give, me, give me a break. You did not just compare Evan Fournier to Kyle you know Lowry. You know what I'm saying? Evan Fournier is an addition that we can laugh about kidding. that Danny Ainge would make. Kyle Lowry is what the big boys trade for. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Now, if the Celtics got ballsy and wanted to try to make a move for Kyle Lowry, I might respect Danny Ainge uh, and not have him as the butt of a joke on every <laughs> other podcast. But uh, Celtics don't even have the picks to make that work probably anymore. <laughs> To even be in the running. And on, no. And on the last podcast, we talked about how, you know, what should the Celtics be looking for in this free agency? And I said they should be looking for a big. That said they should be looking for more of a point guard that can um, – or more – yeah, you said a point guard. Um, yeah. And um, that can control the pace. Um, 
And we were thinking Daniel Tice was integral to either of those choices, that if you have a big man, at least you have Daniel Tice backing him up. And then if you have a, if you have a point, then at least you have Daniel Tice. At least you have Daniel Tice locking down the paint. He's no – I mean, he's he's no all-star center. He's no anything first team, second team. He's, but he's a solid player, solid rotation player, and he plays good defense. He can he switch. He can switch, and he can shoot. And then we see this trade happen. Ben and I, you're like, we're talking. We're, we're on the phone at the time. Oh, we see this trade happen. We're just like, what the fuck? Because at first it was just Mo Wagner for Daniel Tice. And then it was like, ended up being like a pick with it. But like, I think it was part of technically a different move that Chicago did. But in the end, it netted. It was for the Celtics. It was like Tice for Wagner basically straight up. Yeah, because the Wizards traded um, Wagner to the Bulls. Mm -hmm. But this, I I don't understand Danny Ainge's. I mean, Wagner sucks. Yeah, he's not good. He was drafted, and he just wears Jordan shoes on the bench. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I compared his stats uh, this year to um, Tice's, and he's worse in pretty much every major category. <laughs> the only thing he's it. got going for him is he's younger and maybe a little cheaper. I think it got the Celtics under the tax, and so if that's what they, if that's what they were willing to do to get under the tax, that's pretty sad. Um, <laughs> He's averaging three points a game. No, that's with Boston. Sorry. He's averaging seven. Seven, seven points a game. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's trash, and he that's doesn't cool. play, like, close right. to the type of defense that Tice does. Like, we got Drummond's going to the Celtics. Like, this can't be your starting center. They, they must play. really love uh, Tristan Thompson a lot, huh? Oh. Um, yeah. One more note on this Aaron Gordon trade uh, that we've talked about for – way too long now. Um, John Hammond, with the physical restraint to uh, not demand bull bull in that deal, um, Mr. Wingspan himself. Uh, John Hammond is behind the, uh, obviously, most famously, the Giannis Antetokounmpo pick, um, but less famously, the uh, John Henson, Larry Sanders, Thon Maker at number 10 overall when he was projected to go in the second round, Mo Bamba. Um, <laughs> uh, quite a few uh, all-length guys. And also the Magic, you know, just drafting a big every single draft of the past seven years, basically. Jonathan Isaac, how could I forget him? Um, and not addressing any needs at guard whatsoever. <laughs> um, well, this is the whole Magic thing, man. It's just... Last thing we'll talk about the Magic for probably a couple of years now, um, moving forward, is just they didn't get any first round picks, like right? did they get one in the Aaron Gordon trade? I I honestly don't remember. I'd have to look it up. Um, they didn't really get a ton of. Well, they got they got they got two first round picks for Vucevic plus Wendell Carter, Jr. Um, I'm not sure how good of a player Wendell Carter Jr. actually is at this point, but. They got two first-round picks out of that. So, like, their all-star player, they got something for, which is, you know, nice for them. Uh, but, yeah, the Fournier deal is disappointing on their end. And then, um, you know, I, the Gordon deal, I think it must have been a first because I can't imagine them trading Gordon just for Gary Harris and R.J. Hampton in a second. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely – 
probably could have capitalized a little bit better uh, from, but they were having a fire sale and everybody knew it. So like, I'm sure other teams had some kind of leverage knowing that they would have had to basically trade them all. Um, yeah. And you're right. Just for clarification, it's Denver's 2025 first round pick. So that's a late first, late in the 2020s first round pick. So I like that pick for Denver. Yeah. Older and Murray will may sign somewhere else. So that, that, that pick may be valuable. Yeah, the uh, the Magic Brass must have had to uh, tell John Hammond that the coffee maker was broken in the conference in the uh, in the hallway or something, and then lock him out of the war room when they made that deal. Because uh, there's no way he's not asking for bull bull otherwise. <laughs> he should have. Why not? You know, let's get let's get weird. Let's run bull bull at point. Denver, Denver ran, Denver ran Bulbul at small forward that one time when they had the the five center lineup that one game. Do you yeah. remember that? that? Set Twitter ablaze. It was insane. <laughs> who, who who would defend a Mo Bamba Bulbul pick and roll? That's right. Um, anybody with with uh, hands. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but like we mentioned before, Magic trade Vucevic uh, to Chicago, which is kind of cool for Chicago. It's like their first uh, big move they made in a while uh, for an all-star. Um, now they got uh, the Levine-Vucevic duo. Yeah, I like that. Vuce That's is super underrated. Chevy. Yeah, and, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., uh, I feel bad for him because it was a terrible situation for most of his years uh, in the league with Chicago so far. Um, you know, playing under Jim Boylan and having to deal with that system forever. And then, you know, the year that he uh, gets rid of him, he gets traded. Um, that sucks. Larry Markinen has been a huge disappointment since his rookie year. Like, he showed promise his rookie year, and he's just been awful since then. Um, I think... I wouldn't have been surprised if they traded him. What's up? I was just saying, you remember when he blocked stuff? I mean, that was... Hey, yeah. I remember when they were calling him the next Dirk. Yes. You're right. The next, or, the, or the next Porzinger. Porzingad. Um, but, yeah. Uh, two first-round picks. Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter... It's expiring. Um, not too shabby for the for the Bulls to get an all-star in Vooch um, to kind of help develop some of that younger talent around uh, him with their core. Um, so Agreed. don't have too much more to say on that one, do you? No. Uh, one of the most embarrassing deals of the night um, we can you get out of the way other than – other than the Tice for Wagner uh, cap savings one, Clippers trading Lou Williams and two second-round picks um, for Rajon Rondo. Lou Williams, who's the better player of the two, um, had to attach two draft assets to get uh, Rajon Rondo, apparently. Um, as we know, playoff R- Rondo is uh, a whole different animal. And a new beast. Is that how? Is that how that commercial went? Same. Please be. You don't be the. You're um, same animal but different beast. Okay. Thanks, Kanye. 
or Kobe. Kobe. Um, yeah. So Zach, I'll let you go first since you are um, Rajan Rondo's biggest fan on planet Earth. Okay, look, Lou Williams is thirty-four, and Rajan's probably pretty close to that as well. But what is what is your point there? <laughs> I, I I didn't have a point um, except for um, me correcting my own point midway through um, my own point. Um, Rajan is thirty-four as well. He's <laughs> they're both thirty-four. Okay, so moot point. Um, <laughs> Good start. Good start. Keep going, super okay. fan. I'm not a super fan. Okay, when Rajan, Rondo's 35, actually, so he's older than Lou Williams, but go on. According to basketball reference, he's 34. But According to Google, he's 35. He was started the season age 34. This is his age 34 season. Yeah. This is this is the stupid conversation. Wouldn't that make it his right. age thirty five season if he turns thirty five? No, he started at thirty four. Let's have a two minute argu- let's have a two minute argument about what uh, <laughs> defines an age season. I think that'd be good content. I mean, they're listening to it, so yeah, that's so true. Was- You're listening this far, uh, but go on, go on, Zach. Uh, about okay, elderly so watch on the show. Interestingly. Not interestingly, but when Rondo signed with the Hawks at first, I was just like, "This is this is not a good deal for Rondo at all." Like, I think I think actually on our, our pod night, Ben, if you remember this, you're like, "Who is the most mad at their agent tonight?" I think I said Kuzma, but I also said Rondo. No, it was a trade deal. I'm sorry. I'm 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 just totally selling this whole fucking segment. My point was is at the beginning of this season when Rondo started with the Hawks, I whether I vocalized on the pod or internally, I knew this wasn't a good fit. Because you have Trey Young as your point guard, and he's a ball-dominant point guard. He's the highest-assist guy and a high-scoring guy. Rondo just doesn't doesn't fit in that. And the Hawks aren't going to do really any damage in the playoffs. So, And in the if whoever has the ball in the playoffs, it's going to be Trey. So playoff Rondo can't really come into full effect here. And they're not going to give the reins to a 34, 35, maybe even a 37-year-old Rondo by the time the season ends. We don't know. But I think this is an absolute – Perfect fit for the Clippers. The Clippers don't have, don't have a point. Patrick Beverly's not a point guard. Kawhi can't really play point guard, and Paul George can't really play point guard. These guys, they're, these guys' natural roles aren't to play the point guard. They're like to do their one on one, or sometimes they do bring the ball up the floor, but that's only because they have to because Patrick Beverly sucks cock. And sorry, if that's too explicit for this podcast. I don't know if this is a family show anymore. But oh no, we have done a clear warning. Parental advisory sticker. Sorry. I agree. That giving up two seconds and Lou is an overpay. I am going to get that out of the way initially, but I think the fit for Rondo and the Clippers is is absolutely perfect. Um, I think the Clippers needed any point guard um, if they're going to get the playoff version of Rajon Rondo, who just you know makes a jump from top hundred player to top thirty player. <laughs> <laughs> you know, magic, magically every year, then yeah, sure, it's it's a fine deal. Um, definitely an overpay, like you said. Um, I, I really don't get why the Clippers, like maybe they were just like, they had no leverage because they were known to be in the market for a point guard and all the point guards were slipping away from them. Uh, yeah. But like Rajon Rondo is like last resort pretty much. Um, I don't think so. Well, who tell, else would they have got? Tell me how. No, you're you're right. No, no, no. you're absolutely 100 percent correct that the market was was dwindling and drying up. But I was just saying, like, 
Rondo last year in the in the playoffs. Without Rondo, that that Lakers team is different. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you that Rondo is old and doesn't fit, and like he and some and certain teams, and that some nights he gives up and some nights he doesn't give his full effort. But if he's locked into the postseason, which he has been, and and uh, I don't understand why he didn't sign with the Clippers in in offseason. Like, why sign with why sign with the Hawks at the beginning of the season? This doesn't make sense to me. Rondo just wants to be a wily veteran who uh, mentors young players like Vince Carter, and <laughs> Clippers won't leave He's him alone. <laughs> Clippers won't leave him alone. Keep bringing him back in. Rajon Rondo got his ring. He's happy. So does this make the Clippers better? Uh, I don't think so. Um, Lou Williams is kind of key to their bench um, and they already had lost Harrell uh, in the offseason so like I mean it depends on what version of Rondo you get like I said if you get like max player max contract player Rajon Rondo uh, (laughs) then you know maybe you're you're better for it because you have an actual point guard uh, for the playoffs but um, Dallas Max yeah, or uh, Sacramento Kings Rondo. Hey, he led the league in assists that year when he was on the Kings. Yeah, he assist hunted every game and okay. made them worse on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't exactly commend him for that, uh, wow. which is kind of like, like what I'm worried about for the Clippers because it's like they needed a point guard that they can rely on 100%. Like, can you rely on Rajon Rondo? Are you putting all your tri- chips in the table for Rajon Rondo? That's your that's your choice. Like, you lose Lou Williams in two picks to get him. I don't I don't know. I don't really agree with the move. Um, I think they – I don't know who else they would have gotten because, like I said, their choices were dwindling, but I feel like they could have done a better job with roster construction the past couple years since they've had Leonard and Paul George where they didn't need to be in this situation. Like, George Hill would have been perfect. Like, why couldn't they have gone out and tried to get, tried to get George Hill instead of the Sixers? Like – better. Okay. My personal opinion. Take it easy there. I mean, uh, didn't he play great? Did he not play great defense and control the play and control the pace all through the playoffs last year? George Hill's a, a great defender too, and he actually shoots the ball well. I mean, Rondo hit. Okay, yeah, George Hill's a better pure shooter, but Rondo hits two or three threes a game, and that changes the whole game. Because now you got to play off him a little bit. You allow him more more room to work, and he makes them every now and then. Rondo's so, more of a tra- traditional point guard, but um, like George Hill is way better as an off-ball player next to like next to Kawhi and Paul George, who are going to have the ball in their hands the majority of the time. Like you, you just needed like a competent, you know, starting caliber point guard that could run some offense from time to time, like. George Hill can definitely do that, and he's a better overall player than Rondo, like, by far at this point. Um, Look, this is the last thing I'll say. I disagree that, that George Hill is better currently, but that you've watched more George Hill than I ever will, so I'm not going to say you're wrong. Um, my personal opinion is Rondo's better, but, um, you know, you raised a good point that what Rondo, what was so good about Rondo last year is LeBron kind of gave him, like, this, this, the keys to the car. 
Rondo, like LeBron entrusted Rondo, and that fueled Rondo to to play smarter, to play harder, and to have the ball more. And if the Clippers are trading for the Ron, like a version of Rondo where Rondo doesn't isn't allowed to control the pace and isn't allowed to control the offense on certain not not every play, but when he's on the floor. And Rondo did play a lot a lot better off ball with the Lakers than he did in years past because he, he bought it for them. But if like you said, if the Clippers run still run through to 100% Kawhi and Paul George, then this is a terrible fit, and George Hill would have been a much better fit. So it just depends on how they use him. And you're right if they if they don't use him how Rondo needs to be used, and Rondo, or if they use him how Rondo needs to be used, and Rondo chokes and like Rondo turns in, Rondo doesn't like playing under you know under this this scheme, then it could just blow up and it could be it could be a lot terror. It could be really bad. So. Yeah, um, and I be, think he's that not going the assumption that he he gets the reins, but you're right, he may not get the reins. Mm-hmm. For sure, and like this locker room, I don't know if I trust this locker room to be like, <laughs> like holy shit. Uh, <laughs> Lou Williams was like one of like the few like vet voices in that locker room that like people listened to, like him and Beverly. Uh, you know, because we've discussed Kawhi and Paul George aren't, like, locker room leaders. They kind of do their own thing uh, more often than not. And so, like, some of those vets were holding that bench together. Um, Now you ship out one of them, you bring in Rondo, and if he doesn't gel, like, that could be a very unhappy uh, group of guys uh, for sure. Um, But... Let's let's move on from the Rondo stuff. Um, one more minor move uh, before we get on to some other news. Uh, Dallas traded for J.J. Redick, um, which is kind of surprising. Uh, Lonzo Ball was the one rumored to be on the move um, more. It was like kind of considered that Redick could be a buyout candidate possibly, and then he was rumored to go to like the Nets after he got bought out. Um, but New Orleans is able to trade Redick. Um, so Dallas gets a shooter again. Um, they were kind of missing that with the departure of Seth Curry. Seth Curry's having a career year with the, uh, the Sixers right now. Um, and kind of a huge reason that their offense works. Um, and Dallas's offense has struggled a little bit more. Um, you know, Richardson is, Josh Richardson's like, maybe the more well he's definitely the more well-rounded player I don't know if I would call him a better overall player than Seth Curry um but you know he's a better defender obviously um and you know decent level offensive player as well but you know losing Curry uh really hurt the Mavericks so maybe they try to get a little bit of that spark back with Redick um Redick struggled with you know the Pelicans for huge portion of the time he was there. Um, and, you know, maybe part of that is, you know, the weird fit uh, of the pieces they had there. Um, you know, he's dealt with bad spacing before. You know, he was really good for the Sixers. Um, but, you know, we'll see how that works out for Dallas. Uh, I think it's a really good move for them. I really liked it. Um, what do you think? Uh, I'm 100% on board with you. Redick on the Sixers with Bellinelli. They just make these crazy leaners for threes, and it would kind of like when the offense was drying up, they you know they make it wet. 
That's right. That's what Seth Curry does now. Him and Danny Green shooting the cover off the ball. Yeah, the Curry Curry point was spot on. The Mavericks were missing that. And, you know, Redick isn't starting this year. And um, last year he shot – I'm looking at the numbers here. He shot 45% from three last year, but he's not starting this year. Uh, so his numbers are, of course, down. And he probably won't be starting on the Mavericks. But um, if he does, I mean, hopefully he pay, plays more minutes than – 18 minutes a night, um, but he is 36, um, so it's going to be interesting to see, and he's coming off a little bit of an injury, uh, but I think overall it's a positive move for the Mavericks, and it just takes away even more floor space from the Pelicans, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on. Those were a lot of the major deals uh, at the deadline. Um in addition, uh, Aldridge got bought out by the San Antonio Spurs, and he just joined the Nets today, uh, which has a lot of people up in arms. Uh, but I think they forget Aldridge is not that good anymore. But, you know, at, at a minimum deal, he's a very solid pickup for the Nets. Um, but he's by no means a world beater Uh they're really doubling down and committing to the bit of not being able to guard anybody and still winning almost all their games. So <laughs> that's yeah, uh, pretty interesting. Aldridge is definitely on a down year. I mean, no question, the last two years he's struggled a little bit. Um, he's I washed. This, well, we said the same thing about Blake, that Blake might be washed and he had 17 Blake, other nights. Blake is washed. He had one dunk and it was <laughs> the only two points he had the entire night. Last night he had 17. That is like two statues having Blake Griffin and uh, Marcus Aldridge out there at the same time. I think we both thought that um, Aldridge might end up with the Trailblazers because they kind of play a little bit. You know, they have Mello there. They kind of play that a little bit slower paced on offense. And I don't know. It's just It seems like they're more of a back-to-the-basket ISO team. But I guess – the Nets are also an ISO team. Um, I still think that the Nets need an athletic big, but I think you know we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in our bonus Friday baller of the bag, um, bonus Friday baller of the week. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, obviously, it's a positive move, like you said. It's on a veteran minimum. I mean, it's better than not having there. It's a big body. It's better than not having a big body. Um, and with Harden running point, I mean, it creates so many opportunities for all these for anybody. I mean, you and I could get up and get some points because uh, the defense sucks in, and then you go into the dunker slot and you get a layup or a you know a three. So um, with Harden there, it, it allows these guys like Griffin and, and Aldridge to yeah, they're probably not going to be effective going one on one and in the playoffs and dragging the game down, but um, I still think they can be effective and. Um, I think Blake is going to be better on defense than we thought he was going to be, but we'll see. I don't, but uh, he might be better on offense <laughs> than we thought. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, he he did have a little – he did have a better night. You said 17 points is what he got a couple nights ago? I think, I think last time he had 17. Yeah, he like – I think they were playing Detroit, and he, like, fucking stared down the Detroit bench, and, like, Pistons fans were, like, su- super mad at him. Yeah, he, he dunked, and then he did, yeah. he did an alley for Harden, and he was, like, skying through the air, and, and it's like, what are, you, what are you doing? Can't blame him. Or can't blame Pistons fans. 
for no. being upset. That's trash. Um, nor, nor should they have. He swindled them. He swindled them. They need league compensation for that. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> this is a little bit of older news, but the Rockets snapped their 20-game losing streak against the Raptors. Um, Sterling Brown was tearing uh, tearing Toronto apart that game. Um, I probably watched more of that game than you did, Zach. Is that true? 100%. I haven't watched a Rockets game since Oladipo didn't pass to Christian Wood when Christian Wood came back from his injury. So. Oh, all up boycott. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say here? Um, Tillman for today hadn't been so cheap, he could have gotten Ben Simmons. Or, not cheap. Didn't have a grudge against Daryl Morey. Could have gotten Ben Simmons. Even after Morey said he wasn't going to move Simmons, like Simmons was available. I mean, Oh, yeah. yeah. Disgusting. But um, I, I don't mind them. I think their picks will turn out better than people think they will. I mean, a lot of picks flops, a lot of picks. and The, the Nets. Nets ones will be good because the Nets can't be good forever. They have a lot of older guys. So you got picks going out to 2027 and swaps going out to that. So it'll be a good few years for the Rockets. Yep. And last thing on this, we did beat the Wolves tonight. And Sterling Brown and DJ Augustine. I think combined for like 42. So. Wow. Pfizer, <laughs> Pfizer for himself there in Houston. Milwaukee Bucks South. Yeah, DJ Wilson, Christian Wood, Sterling Brown, DJ Augustine. I wall had a good game. 13 points, 13 assists. Like, that's just a good, solid point guard game for him. Let, nice. let the other guys eat. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, wall needs to get back to that a little bit more. Get back to his roots. Um all the deep off the team. Yeah. OKC, after the deadline, now has uh, 17 first and 17 seconds in the next seven drafts. Um, 8% of all draft picks in that span. So that's uh, that's pretty insane. Uh, they, can't, they can't use all those picks. But I am guessing they will be packaged for good players, I guess, <laughs> at some point when or- they're ready to – you know, get a core together. Or they'll just be Danny Ainge and then not just draft random players with those picks and not never package them for anything. Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> Sam Presti's going to take a page out of the Ainge book. <laughs> um, that is pretty much all the news we have. Oh, one more thing before we move on to the next segment. Uh, we want to talk about Drummond. Uh, Drummond is... Uh, has been bought out, um, and I believe as of the recording of this episode, he has still not picked a team, um, but heavily eyeing the Lakers, apparently. Um, Lakers could use a center, um, but Andre Drummond is always, he's like the guy who can put up 30 and 20 in a game and makes zero impact on the actual winning. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, he could average. He averages fifteen and fifteen a night, but twelve of those rebounds come off his own misses, so doesn't really count, in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of like the Ursa and Ilyasova twenty twenty nights, <laughs> the Moses Malone nights. Um, Eight putbacks to finally uh, make the basket. Stat padding. 
And like you said, the Lakers need – I mean, Marcus Saul is not the replacement for a uh, decently athletic Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. Like, as much as we clown Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee over the years, they were really pretty solid on defense last year. And, um, yeah, they had some really bonehead plays, but I think overall they were positive for the Lakers. And um, Dwight played really good defense for him, was rebounding aggressively. And they kind of they miss that this year. I mean, Montrez and is a great player in his own right, but they lose the hype there. Um, and Marcus All is almost as washed as Brooke Lopez is. So um, I'm joking. Uh, but Lopez is I think uh, Gasol's been disappointing this year. I think I don't think they got to the Gasol they thought they were going to get. Yeah, uh, Gasol won a championship and checked out. Um, <laughs> yes, he was still pretty decent. Uh, with the Raptors that next year, but, uh, yeah. Um, Dwight, Dwight's having a great year with Philly too. So the Lakers really sparked the Dwight Renaissance for sure. Let's move on to the Delhi desktop, the portion of the show where Zach checks in on all things Delhi. Interesting news. I mean, this is this is a saga that's that's that keeps on going. I and mean, who knows how many chapters are in the appendectomy book that is Della Vadova. Um, so we, we, you know, this is um, Ben has kind of thought all year he's going to transition to more of a coaching role. I mean, after we saw those injuries, he's going to transition to more of a coaching role, and he has. He definitely has the Cavs. There's so many reports that we read every week that Della Vadova is a massive influence on on Sexton. And some of these younger guys, Garland. Um, so Ben was Ben made the perfect call on that. And then I've always thought, you know, and Ben has too, that he can still give minutes. So we haven't seen any minutes so far, um, besides the concussion in preseason. But we have we did hear some positive news this week where he was going to play Wednesday. Or it was he was planned to play at some point along their road trip, and the it was. Um, rumored that he'd make his debut Wednesday. It is currently Saturday night. Um, he didn't play tonight. Um, so we'll see. Taking things slow, being extra cautious with <laughs> one of their key assets. Um, something to monitor in the next uh, several weeks. And do you think we won't monitor it? I mean, we have a whole segment. I mean, of course we're going to monitor it. We're we're gonna monitor it, monitor it. You know, we're the top Delhi podcast. Um, I think statistically, I've checked. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's good news. Good news on the Delhi front. Um, do you have anything more to add to that? Uh, just they've been teasing us for a couple of weeks now about the return. So yeah, so Cavs Cavs PR real tease. But uh, <laughs> let's move on to the bonus fry baller, the part of the show where Zach and I highlight players that we think are outperforming expectations so far this year. The bonus fry at the bottom of the bag. Um, I'll go first. Uh, this is a uh, pretty uh, interesting one. Uh, Damian Jones. Uh, Damian Jones, journeyman center, uh 
Phillips played for both the Suns and the Lakers this year. Most recently, though, with the Lakers, where he played eight games uh, over the course of two 10-day contracts, six of which he started. In those games, Damian Jones shot 96.5% true shooting, uh, including 94.1% from the field and 91.7% from the line in 14 minutes per game. Uh, on the season, for reference, uh, Jones, I think, shoot shooting like 50-some percent from the line. Um, now, granted, he was only averaging 14 minutes a game, uh, kind of more of a spot starter role, averaging about five and a half points. Um, but the sheer volume of made shots from this man over the course of two 10-day contracts, only to not get signed by the Lakers at the end for the end of the season, a casualty of the cap, brings a tear to my eye. That is a great find, Ben. And I'm looking at his per 36. It's it's 14 and 8. Ooh. I mean, that is just, that's who doesn't want that on their team right now? Exactly. The center, they need a center. Especially with Gasol stinking it up. Man. <laughs> They held on to Thomas's over Damian Jones. Or not Thomas, Costas, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're really happy to have Damian Jones here. Um, and this is what I, you know, um, yeah, so this is just a great find by you here. Um, and then uh, I was going to say is if you're going to make an impact and if you're a 10-day guy, my advice is don't sign with the Lakers. I don't care if they're the only team that offers you a deal. Don't you can shoot ninety six point five percent true shooting and still not uh, make the team. Is Andre Ingram on the Lakers right now? <laughs> no, he is not. Should he be on the Lakers right now? Probably over Costas and Tanakupo, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the Lakers. Lakers, Lakers clutching onto him, you know, just in case Giannis uh, makes a trade demand, you know, mid season at some point. They're going to be right on top of that. They can send Kyle Kuzma out <laughs> as the key piece. Oh, oh man. So, great find, Ben. Uh, my bonus for baller um, is Nicholas Claxton of the Brooklyn Nets. Um, when I did this, uh, when we did this podcast a couple nights ago, he had just come off two 16-point games where he was shooting 75% from the field. I was like, this is exactly what the Nets need. For a, a center, athletic center, fills a dunker slot. What what'd you got? Oh, I thought you, I was looking at your video. I thought you were going to say something. You're just no, I, yeah, you're no, good. I didn't see. I thought, Go ahead. I thought you were, never mind. Um, so I thought this was the perfect thing they needed. Uh, athletic center, kind of maybe replacing Jared Allen, you know, perfect guy for Harden to feed, um, perfect guy for Kyrie to feed, perfect big body for screens. Um and for the month of March, he was having a really – he was averaging like 10 and 6. Uh, can't complain. And in the last two games, Ben, he's has seven combined points in oh. nine minutes. Oh. It's, a good, it's a good thing this podcast was delayed. We saw his true form. I think part of it was he had to play Utah, so he had to go against Gobert. Right. Uh, and this last one against Detroit, I mean, Harden had 44, but he also had 17 assists, so – yeah, only one of those assists went to his dunker. He played <laughs> 26 minutes, so Jeez. maybe Plumley was just locking him down, which isn't good. Yeah. 
Plumley's showing out on both sides of the floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great find as well. Um, would have been a better find a couple days ago, but um, yeah. not too shabby. He's playing like a regular... Uh, like playing like a regular uh, Sterling Brown, Christian Wood type uh, offensive threat. But uh, let's move on to the final portion of the show, our mailbag, where we answer some listener-submitted questions. First off, from Adam, you're building out your squad and need to fill the starting point guard and center positions. You can either have present-day Kyle Korver running point guard, or TJ McConnell running center. Who do you choose? Zach, I'll let you go first. Then I need to know every single parameter of this question. I need to know can they rotate? Can like can I start McConnell at center but never play him at center? Can I switch him on defense so he doesn't have to guard center? Or do I have to play him as center and run my offensive defense for him at center? I would say you have to play each of these players at least 20 minutes per game at that position. Oh. Because they're starting. Let's make it fair here. No, 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 you know, tricky shit. It's just straight we up. Can't have it like, we can't have Zaza, Zaza Pachulia starting for the Warriors in the finals, only playing for five minutes. <laughs> you can have, like, TJ McConnell guarding fours while they're four guards the fives. Or you can have Kyle Korver guard twos while they're two guards okay. the ones, but no further okay. positional trickery than that. Okay, I'm going off this with P.J. Tucker at my four on the opposite team, so I'm taking McConnell. Um, okay. I think I think McConnell's younger, and I don't even think he's probably like 20 years younger than Corver. I think um, he's Corver's younger? Last. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> McConnell is leading the league in steals, so you know, he's cagey. You know, he's he's rambunctious, and he's feisty on the block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that he can, you know, ball ball. This doesn't stand a chance against him. I mean, that, those loose hands, that ball is getting sniped. He's getting, <laughs> getting stolen every single time ball ball posts up. Um, kind of like, like with Drew Holiday uh, guarding TJ McConnell the you, other night. You bring, that's, just, that's not their position. McConnell's a center. You know, he's playing out of position. <laughs> no, it's a good point. And I'm not, I'm out here to say that McConnell's like some Rondo or anything. But um, I, I, I would saying, hope that. I'm saying he's athletic. He can run a 40 in under 10 seconds. And um, he can, under he can 10 play point center. <laughs> so the Corver can't do. And I think he can play point center, which Kyle Corver can't handle the ball. And he can't create any space. I just think... McConnell's currently in the league, and Corver isn't, so that's why I'm going McConnell. <laughs> Cal Corver was just in the league, you know. <laughs> wasn't particularly good, but uh, he was just in the league recently. Okay. It's not like we're pulling. Uh, it's not like we're pulling Gary Payton back into the swing of things here, but uh, uh, I'm I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go Cal Corver running point guard. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a tough pill to swallow, but uh, TJ McConnell guarding fours or fives makes me want to vomit. It makes me physically ill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even if you switch him onto fours, he's just getting backed down by any NBA four in the league. 
at this point. You know, save Ursan Ilyasova, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, Corver at, Corver at point guard, you know, you can have the shooting guard, you know, handle the ball oh. up the court a little bit. Um, you know, Corver can guard some less athletic twos, maybe. Um, he can he can still shoot the ball in bursts. That's like pretty much his only NBA skill at this point. Uh, he's a he's a statue. Otherwise, he'd fit perfectly on the Brooklyn Nets. But um, <laughs> I think I think I can survive with uh, Kyle Korver minutes in my starting lineup at point guard more than I can survive TJ McConnell center minutes uh, in the modern NBA. Maybe back in maybe back in the in the thirties when uh, they were all five foot five, you know, you can survive with TJ McConnell at uh, at center. But George Mikan was six eleven, and Dolph was like six nine, so you suck cock. But um, <laughs> all great points. Um, Corver definitely provides a position. Like I think the only benefit for Corver here is the position. Um, Any like. That's the only reason why you choose Corbett over McConnell right now is because just the position that this scenario possesses uh, presents. Um, mm-hmm. Like you, 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 you shit all over McConnell's defense, but you don't bring up anything about Corbett's um, inability to stay in front of a a snail. So I think you can hide Corver at at point guard on defense better than you can hide McConnell. <laughs> At fucking center on defense. That's I mean, all I'm going to say for that. Rebounding is an issue. Rim protection is an issue. Yeah. It's a switching link, though. <laughs> Pick and roll, he's deadly on the on the switch. Because you're switching the center to a... <laughs> oh God. He's not, even good not running... point, he's not even good at playing point guard in, on offense. Do you think he'd be good at playing center? <laughs> he's a defensive stopper. We're not using him on offense. <laughs> Sitting, sitting in the corner like Brooke Lopez. I would rather. I would rather. <laughs> I was not expecting a Brooke Lopez. <laughs> fair play, fair play. I would rather have Greg Oden running point than Kyle Corbin right Jesus now. Christ. That's, that's disgusting. It'd be like me me running Big Baby Davis at point guard on the Celtics in 2K11 and just tearing teams up because <laughs> the game had no ball handler mechanics that punished you running, dri- dribbling with bigs. So just dishing dimes like fucking 2011 Rondo as Big Baby. Why not? I, I So I think we both um, present fair arguments, but or how about the, who, who would win a one-on-one between Corver and McConnell? TJ McConnell, hands okay. down. All right. Hands Good. down. Corver can't fucking <laughs> dribble, so, like, <laughs> he wouldn't be able to even get to the basket. He'd just be trying to take contested threes every single fucking time. I think you also you have, to like, you have to shoot. You have to have him take, like, 15 shots each. <laughs> <laughs> Corver wouldn't be able to even guard TJ McConnell, so, like, that's a lose-lose on both ends for him. Straight up. <laughs> My only argument is the positional difference here. I agree. I agree. It's a good argument. <laughs> At least you have rebounding and rim protection. Um, I think last thing on this, I think, uh, or for me, I think uh, Corver is just, I, I just, I'm bitter Corver. He wasted so many Kobe Pro Tro 4s 
that he just went through new beautiful white and green ones every game and played one minute. Um, but he was the same one the whole season, so maybe I can't be too bitter. He just kept the same, he used the same pair of shoes the whole year. <laughs> hey, he helped Giannis with shooting, right? Didn't he help Giannis with his three ball a little bit? Allegedly. <laughs> I think he, he, he helped Pat Connaughton more. Pat Connaughton is shooting better than Kyle Korver ever did in Milwaukee this year, so. <laughs> He were he was he was working closely with Corver in practice. That must have been must have been it. Um, let's move great on question. to our great final. Question. Great question, great question. Let's move on to the final question uh, of the mailbag and the last part of our show here. Um, from Sam, how would you redraft the first ten picks of this year's draft? Um, so, neither of us are draft experts. Um, what? And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I watch every New York Knicks game or um, Detroit Pistons game or, you know, terrible team that had a top pick this year. Um, but, you know, I've I've watched a little bit and uh, yeah. I, I, you know, follow people and, you know, read about read people who have watched these guys. Um, so I can give a little bit of input here. Um, but by no means is this an official, you know, wow. order. Um, I don't, don't, don't want to mislead anyone here. This is the longest <laughs> caveat I've, I've heard. And, it, I've, yeah. and I'm, I'm less qualified than Ben by far. That's so. true. Zach is even less qualified. Um, players, bro. So... Let's first read off the top 10 picks of this year's draft. That only makes sense. Um, Anthony Edwards is the number one pick uh, by Minnesota. James Wiseman, number two by the Warriors. Uh, LaMelo Ball, uh, number three, going to the Hornets. And then you have Patrick Williams, Isaac Okoro, Onyeka Kongwu, Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin, uh, Denny, and then... Jalen Smith, uh, infamously going to the Phoenix Suns. Um, so let's start off with uh, something I think we both agree on um, and I think was kind of a weird thing that didn't happen on draft night, um, LaMelo Ball. So I got LaMelo Ball as my clear number one at the top of the list, Um he was rumored to go number one on draft night, um, but the Wolves ended up taking Anthony Edwards. Uh, LaMelo Ball, I just think, is the better overall prospect all around, and he's shown that early in his NBA career, um, making great passes. Uh, he's shooting the ball a lot better now than he was at the very beginning of the year. Um, just looks like a really solid piece for the Hornets to build around. You know, I don't think he'll ever be like – a number one option on offense for a title contending team, but he's, you know, kind of a perfect, you know, complimentary player, um, especially at what his potential seems to be. He already is, like, you know, fantastic, and he's helped the Hornets win a lot more games than both of us thought at the beginning of the year. Um, so did, what are, you, what are you some, some of your thoughts on LaMelo? Uh, in his yeah. play so far this year. Great, uh, great intro here. Um, I think 
the Hornets would, like you said, just said, like we didn't think the Hornets would even come close to making the playoffs, and, and they're kind of in the hunt. Um, and Lamelo just gives just Lamelo's pace, and I think is the the main thing that I'm most impressed with. Yeah, the shot looks a little weird, but it works. And the passing, we knew it. You know, we, you watch those Lamelo highlights, and you, you always see his vision as a passer. And it's always been his calling passer. card. Always been his calling card. But the pace at which he plays with, and and to adapt to the NBA game so quickly, youngest player with a triple double. Um, I'm just so impressed by him, and that's something that Anthony Edwards, yeah, his last couple games over uh, the last week, he dropped a 40 point game on on Mello, on the on the real Mello. I believe um, he's had a couple 40 point games now. Yeah. Or at least he had a high 30s game, too. You're, I, you're right. And he came on, you know, he needed more time than, than LaMelo, but that doesn't mean he's any worse of a player. But I think um, LaMelo's going to win rookie of the year. But um, oh, yeah. Anthony Edwards is, is playing a lot better these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's still not as good as LaMelo is. And it's, it sucks that LaMelo has that wrist injury because uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Hornets play. They're going to have some momentum from him and his pace that he brought, but after a while they're probably going to lose that a little bit. Um, and it's a shame because he was having a hell of a year. Yeah, it does suck, the Lamelo injury. Um, he's one of the most fun players to watch uh, this season, and sucks that we won't get to see the rest of his rookie year play out. But definitely think he's got that rookie of the year locked up. Um, I don't think anybody could take it from him at this point, especially, you know, it being March slash, you know, coming up on April, you know, people always joke about how March basketball is just so fucking weird and like, you never know what's going to happen. And a lot of times it's like garbage teams, like players putting up great numbers. So even if like one of these other rookies, stood out a ton in this month, it wouldn't be enough, in my opinion, to take anything from what Lomelo has done this year. Uh, but no, let's Y'all, go ahead, go ahead. Just just last thing on this, just going off, you just made me think of something about winning. All these other guys, yeah, they're having some good seasons and um, quickly, was ha- quickly kind of feeds into this, I think, a little bit. But I think of all of the prospects, no one completely contributes, like no one contributes to winning as much as Lomelo did. And that, that to me... There's a lot of rookies who can put up numbers, but it's harder to make your team as a whole better. And Lamelo, that hardest team without Lamelo isn't winning as many games as with with him. Um, so I think he's playing winning basketball, not just like good scoring basketball or good highlight basketball. He's playing winning good basketball. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's what's made him you know stand out so much at the beginning of this year. Like if he was putting up these type of numbers, you know he'd still get buzz on a bad team, but the Hornets, the fact that they've been actually, like, surprisingly good, uh, relatively speaking, this year, like, that's, you know, had the spotlight even more on him uh, than it would have been otherwise, and he's getting some of that recognition that he definitely deserves. Um, Let's move on to the rest of the top ten. That was number one. Uh, We'll we'll go through the rest of these a little bit quicker, uh, but... Anthony Edwards, um, I have at number two. Like you said, he's you know definitely picked it up the last couple of weeks. Um, he's looking like he could be uh, you know a really good scoring uh, player uh, down the line. He already has shown that in spurts. Um, him and Cat were the first duo, or one of the only duos uh, to have forty point games each uh, in the same night. Um, along with, like, some other big names. 
on the list. I think there were like seven other duos. Um, so that's big news. Um, kind of a nice little, you know, something for Wolves fans to hang their hats on after a very disappointing season uh, where they got D'Lo and then, you know, he's been hurt and Cat's been hurt and, you know, it's just haven't been able to put it all together. Not necessarily would they even be good if they had everybody healthy, but, you know, it still sucks to not get to see that team play together after, you know, being so hyped up. Um, but definitely think Edwards is having a great season uh, since the first couple months. Um, next on the list, I got Tyrese Halliburton. He is putting up really good numbers um, for the Kings. He, you know, might have the only other claim to, you know, like you were talking about earlier with LaMelo, um, you know, contributing to winning because uh, this Kings team is not good. And, you know, not to say that they're a contender by any means, but they're in the hunt still for the uh, playing games. They're sitting at 11th right now. Um, and he is putting up extremely efficient numbers, um, you know, shooting the ball really well and just, you know, playing like a winning player. He's like been billed as like, or he was billed as like one of the most NBA ready players coming out of the draft. Um, And, you know, the Kings scooped him up, but um, you know, there's arguments to be made that maybe, you know, this is kind of what his potential looks like. And, you know, maybe this is the best version of him. Um, And I think that's kind of unfair to say for a rookie, like, you know, I think he can get better for sure. Um, but, you know, the ceiling might not be as high as, like, a guy like Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball um, or even some other players on this list. But he's been playing really good basketball lately. And I think ever since he made the transition to the starting lineup um, and they took Bagley out of it, um, the Kings have been playing better and winning more. Um, so that's something to monitor, too, uh, over the next couple weeks. Um Fourth on the list here, I have James Wiseman, and I think I might even, I don't know, I've, I don't feel great about having him this high on the list, but at the same time, like, he has, you know, shown that he can play well with good talent around him. Um, you know, he's not having the best uh, year, and he's not shooting the ball as well as advertised pre-draft, uh, kind of like the Mo Bamba thing where, you know, Pre-draft, all of a sudden, it's like, can Mo Bamba shoot the ball from three? Does he have a shot? Um, he's, like, hitting, like, threes in pre-draft workout videos and everything, and then he comes in the league, and no, of course not. He can't. Um, but I watched him at Texas an entire year. He was not shooting threes. Um, no. But, uh, you know, I, I could easily switch him here with the guy at the number five slot, uh, Poku, uh, Alexis Pokoshevsky. Uh, playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, he had a really rough start to the year. Um, and that's kind of why I don't have him higher than James Wiseman. But recently I watched a Grizzlies game and he had like 23 points against the Grizzlies and beat them. Uh, and, you know, he's hitting threes, he's passing the ball well. Like um, Poku coming into the draft was kind of like billed as, you know, kind of like you could – run an offensive hub through him at his peak. Like, he could be, like, maybe not quite as good as Jokic, like, because who could hope to be like Jokic? But, you know, he had those comps, kind of, and he's really skinny. Um, You know, the Thunder have him, I think, playing at the four. Uh, 
Um, but I think they even slotted him down to the three at one point. But he's kind of like he puts a little bit more weight on and, you know, he becomes more consistent uh, shooting the ball, which, you know, definitely rookies struggle all the time shooting the ball. So um, if he can put that together a little bit, he could definitely be a really solid big man down the line and, you know, possibly even top five center potential um, at some point or, you know, playing at least small ball center. I don't know how much weight he can put on, but um, he's definitely somebody to keep your eye on. Um, Number six, I have Devin Vassell um, for the Spurs. Um, This guy was a guy, I think I've mentioned him before on the podcast, he was compared pre-draft to Chris Middleton um, at his ceiling, uh, and he's just a really solid overall offensive, all-around offensive player. Uh, He can get his shot on his own. Um, not the best dribbler, kind of like Chris Middleton, um, or playmaker necessarily. Um, but, you know, he can definitely find his own shots. Um, and, you know, he's playing well in a recent game. I saw him play against the Bucks. Um, so I think that, you know, he's could definitely be a really solid player down the line. Um, this draft is kind of notorious for, uh, being deep at role player and very shallow at, you know, star. Um, Lamelo Ball was kind of one of the few, and Anthony Edwards were both some of the few that actually were projected to have, you know, possible, like, borderline all-star potential. Um, so, you know, the rest of these guys, kind of looking at them from a perspective of being really solid role players. Um, Desmond Bain, slotting at number seven, is another example of one of those guys. And he is like, been the pinnacle of what, you know, ideal role player would be this season. He's shooting, uh, I think it's the best uh, percentages uh, from a rookie uh, ever. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty solid. Um, as of a couple weeks ago, anyway, I don't know if that's still the case, but uh, he's shooting the ball from three really well, just shooting overall really well on the Grizzlies. Um, Definitely uh, deserves more minutes. Uh, He was kind of like one of the darlings of draft Twitter going in. Um, And the Grizzlies got a couple other guys like Xavier Tillman and uh, Killian Tilly, who also fit that bill as uh, draft Twitter uh, guys. But, um, you know, he's having a really solid season, and I think that he could be a really, really good elite role player down the line. Uh, Sadiq Bey, kind of similar, not having quite as good of a season as Desmond Bain, but, you know, still putting up solid numbers on the Pistons. Uh, He could be a solid guy uh, down the line as well. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, number nine for the Sixers. Uh, He had a game this year where... Embiid and Simmons were both out, and he put up, like, 40-some points on, I think it was the Clippers. Um, You know, he's not shooting the ball great this year, um, but, you know, he's definitely shown promise at the the lead guard spot for them. Uh, He was rumored to be one of the key pieces that could have gone in a Lowry trade, so uh, his stock is, you know, relatively high right now, and um, you know, it it always takes longer for rookie guards uh, in a lot of cases to, you know, make an impact in the league. A lot of guards are late bloomers, especially point guards at that position. Um, so, like, him or guys like, you know, Killian Hayes could have definitely been included in this list. Um, or, you know, Kira Lewis on the Pelicans. But, you know, they're both having down years. And part of that's situational. Part of that's just 
figuring stuff out. And they could be way better than some of these other guys on the list down the line. Um, but the final guy running out the top 10 uh, for now is Emmanuel Quickly because he's had a really sad, solid season for the playoff Knicks um, coming off the bench for them. Uh, he just really solid, you know, playmaker and scoring the ball. It's been a little inconsistent, but when he's on, he's on. And uh, to get him, it's a value pick for them at 25th uh, overall in the draft uh, to get a guy of his quality in my unofficial top 10. Uh, so really good job there. Uh, Zach, I know I just went on a really long monologue about uh, rookies, but do you have any key takeaways from this list or any guys you'd like to throw in there? I do. Um, I think your Tyrese Halliburton contributing to win. I was up there seven and three in March. Um, so Halliburton just having a really good year, um, really solid year. And some, I, I, I was following him earlier in the year, and I, he was putting some good numbers. I kind of lost track of him for some reason. Didn't see him on my timeline a lot. But his last couple of games, averaging, I mean, averaging over twenty last couple of games. So he's playing good basketball, and I definitely think that. Um, He's going to have a higher ceiling than, like you said, I, like I haven't seen him play a lot, but we're already seeing him contribute to winning, mm-hmm. put up points. So going back to the goal, good points thing. Yeah, um, so. for sure. He, uh, oh, sorry. Like he's, he's averaging real quick. He's averaging forty-three point six percent from three, forty-eight point six percent from the field. Good for a true shooting percentage of sixty-one point three percent, eighty-six point. 8% from the line, 13.1 points per game, 5 assists per game, 3.4 rebounds, 1.3 steals, 0.6 blocks in 30 minutes. Um, so really good for, you know, you know uh, where he was billed at uh, as a player. He was taken a lot earlier than I think people um, expected uh, going. His stock was rising as the draft got closer. Um, and, you know, I think the Kings really got a really, really good pick. He almost reminds me, like, in this role kind of as, like, the role Malcolm Brogdon had with the Bucks, uh before, you know, he got traded the Pacers and became more of a lead guard ball handler. Like, he's – Halliburton's kind of like a perfect, like, glue piece, you know, really uber-efficient, uh, you know – elite level role player type guy, but he could definitely blossom into something much more than that down the line. Yeah. Guys like him, you don't see very often where, I mean, you see sometimes, but you see, you don't see where they um, can score, but also play efficiently and know not, not to overscore. And, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of players come to the league and they're trying to overscore. Um, or try to force things like RJ Barrett, like last year was just trying to force things so many times. And I think, um, Tyrese, and it also, I mean, you know, quickly, just two guys who who are really picking their spots really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I would have quickly higher, but um, no, no worries. That's fair. But, That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. And then Wiseman, he's having an okay year. But, I mean, if you're a big center in today's league and you're not averaging 10 and 10, but he's still he's still young and you got Draymond yelling in his ear every play. So that'll be good for him. Um, and he's playing – he's not playing starters minutes, so – I see why – I know why the Warriors pick Wiseman. They need a big. I mean, you got Steph, Clay. But, like, when we talked about our lost footage, Ben talked about how, yeah, but a big center like Wiseman who doesn't have an outside shot, who he's not a unicorn center. So you can, you can kind of find these athletic guys who are big, strong, and can roll and play decent defense. So 
they're not as hard to come by as they could be. So they're, why they're not as scarce play? as guys like LaMelo Ball who are elite level creators. Like I feel like my philosophy for the draft, if you're picking, you know, in the lot or upper part of the lottery, you shouldn't be picking based on fit, especially if the other players on the board have a clearly superior talent. You know, I think you should draft for talent and then worry about fit later because um, you can always make trades and you can always, you know, make roster moves, you know, that will complement these guys down the line. Um, I just think it's really short-sighted to pick a center like James Wiseman second overall when you could have had LaMelo Ball. It's not like LaMelo Ball would have been a bad fit alongside Curry either or Thompson like Thompson can slot down to the three he might even be better at that at this point in his career with you know less mobility and you know Curry off ball god um you know him and ball could have taken turns with ball handling duties that would be almost like a kind of a cool transition for Curry to make you know later in his career like doesn't even necessarily have to happen that way you know right away but I just don't understand the logic of not drafting ball number two, uh, you know, when yeah. the alternative is Wiseman. Because when we initially talked about this on our podcast uh, that was lost, I was kind of like, the I kind of saw more the lost <laughs> the ghost tapes. I was <laughs> more like understanding of why the Warriors took um, Wiseman. And then after Ben basically said what you just said, it was like, it makes so much sense. Because Curry, because Curry, yeah, he's had a, a couple, uh, a decent amount of games where he just takes on the load and drops a sixty-point game or drops a forty-point game. But that's not where that's not where Curry's at his best. Curry's at his best when you have guys setting screens and then Draymond feeding him the ball. And Draymond is getting older, so Draymond's not as effective as a playmaker. So it makes and Ben's just right. It makes so much sense that that Lamelo can fit in, take the burden off Curry and Clint Thompson is, and Draymond as they're getting older. Put it, he can keep the pace going, but he can also find these guys. And then if Curry wants to take over the game, he can just say, give me the ball and take over. It's not like Lamelo needs to have the ball to be effective, too. So I think Ben nailed this right on the button that the Warriors should have drafted Lamelo ball. And um, so, but in this case, he has the, the Wolves drafting Lamelo ball because that makes sense, too. <laughs> um, uh, and the last thing on Wiseman is that, you know, we learned from history that sometimes drafting for fit isn't always the best. The Trailblazers drafted Sam Bowie because they have Clyde Drexler, and they're like, oh, we need a big. We don't need Michael Jordan. Why do we need Michael Jordan? We already have Clyde <laughs> Drexler. And imagine a double-headed monster of Clyde and Jordan. I mean, that would have been nasty in the West. Um, I mean, it would have been some major battles in the Western Conference Finals with uh, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Magic Johnson as your as your backcourt going up against Clyde and um, – and MJ, but and you mentioned Hakeem getting passed up too. Yeah, because you know Sam Bowie is the fit. You know he's the traditional center who back to the basket, not super athletic, not super, but but athletic enough that we can run offense through. And uh, that's that technically fits the Blazers better. Um, but you know, I think I think yeah. So. Or the uh, Bucks passing up on Chris Paul to get Andrew Bogut. I mean, <laughs> uh, drafted Andrew Bogut number one overall. Chris Paul went third in that draft. Yeah, or That's the Cavs got Anthony Anthony Bennett 
It's like, oh. Uh, Although, to be fair, that draft was pretty, you know, shitty at the top, so. Then, then trade out of it. Trade the first for two two more first later years or something. I don't yeah. know. Uh, or just, you know, draft the best player on the board, Giannis, number one. Wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, Ben's right. Sometimes drafting for fit isn't um, – and because if you don't draft for fit, you draft for talent, then you can use fit guys that, and build around your talent. So mm-hmm. they find fit guys in free agency or in trades. You don't have to waste draft capital on, on the right. guys fit. Or you show off the talents of the guy that you drafted and maybe you trade him down the line or something and get more for him than you would have, yes. you know. But in any case uh, – I think that wraps up this episode. Um, this has been a pretty long episode, uh, but, you know, it's it's the post-trade deadline Albatross episode. Uh, Ooh. Maybe that's a little working title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that wraps up for me and Zach. Uh, you can find us on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Simplecast. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BatSeatGMPod, uh, posting some content there for you guys. Um, thank you, Zach. And then I think a special thank you goes out to you for editing probably two and a half hours of footage. Oh. So um, I wish you the best, my friend. Um I also wish me the best. Let's see how it goes. Uh, (laughs) Talk to you later. See you, brother.